what would you do if you were all alone in the desert, you'd been there for a while, and you had nothing to eat? What would you do? Well, what I would do, I would eat the sandwiches there. I like a good joke. I try to see the, the, uh, the funny things in life and uh, see the humor in life. But I'm also a Bible student and a Bible teacher. And humor and Bible teaching don't intersect very often. But in the passage we're going to look at tonight, they do. So let's go to Numbers chapter 22. Numbers chapter 22. I'm just going to tell the story. You can read along in the text if you'd like, kind of scan through the text as we look at this story. But you'll recognize it before we get into it very long. It's not about Moses, even though you know, Moses is the central figure here in uh, the book of Numbers. It's not about Israel so much as it is about Balaam and his experience with Israel. Balak was the king of Moab. Israel was encroaching upon his territory. They were approaching the land of Canaan and, and they were, uh, again, getting close to his area and he was afraid. See, they had fought the Amorites and the Amorites had defeated Moab and Israel had defeated the Amorites. And if Israel could defeat the Amorites who had defeated Moab, what would Israel do to Moab? And so he had great fear, he was in dread. He was uh, afraid that they would lick up all that was around them, as he says to the people of Moab. And so he says he couldn't defeat Israel with his army, he decides to attack them through supernatural power. And so he sends to a man that he had heard of who lived some distance away, who he thought could come and curse Israel for him. That man's name was Balaam. He's described in the Bible as a soothsayer or a diviner. And so he's a pagan prophet who would call upon supernatural powers to, in this case, curse the people he's hired to curse. And so Balak sent his people to Balaam and said, would you come and curse this people Israel for me? And Balaam, he's, a, he's, he's aware of the Lord. He knows of the Lord. He knows he's going to have to deal with the Lord. And so he tells Balaam's representatives, I've got to consult with the Lord first, and I can only do what he tells me to do. And so he does. He consults with the Lord, and the Lord says, Do not go. They are a people that I have blessed. And so do not go and curse them. You see that down in verse 12. And so Balaam refuses to go. Well, Balak hears about his refusal, and He's not one to give up so easily, and so he sends some representatives a second time, this time with great wealth, and, and he appeals to Balaam again, come and curse this people, and I will pay you all this money. I'll give you the, all these riches. And again, Balaam says, well, I've got to consult with the Lord, and this time when he does, the Lord tells them to go. Uh, if the men have come to call you, rise up and go with them, but only the word which I shall speak to you, you uh, shall you do. So you can go, but you can say only what I tell you to say. And so he doesn't give them free reign. 
but he does allow them to go. And so he goes, which is what I think he wanted to do all along. He wasn't a real conscientious man that wanted to serve the Lord and do what the Lord said. We, we know that because he went a second time to the Lord. If he was really conscientious and do, did, only wanted to do what the Lord wanted him to do, he, he wouldn't have even had to consult with the Lord a second time. The Bible describes Balaam in the book of 2 Peter chapter 15 as a man who loved, uh, who loved riches, who loved this kind of inappropriate gain. Says that false teachers were like Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. So again, I don't know that he was conscientious in his consulting with the Lord. He's looking for permission to do only what he wanted to do in the beginning. And so he goes. And this is the best part of the story, isn't it? <laughs> He's riding in his donkey along the way. And uh, verse 22 tells us that God was angry that he was going. Even though God allowed him to go, he was angry that he was going. And so he's riding on his donkey along the way and, and an angel appears before the donkey and the donkey turns aside. And then he, he keeps on going. Balaam chastises the donkey, beats the donkey and, and it happens again. He goes a little bit further and the, the angel appears before the donkey. This time the donkey crushes the foot of Balaam up against the wall and ba Balaam is angry again and beats the donkey and then, then it happens a third time. And this time, the donkey just lies down. And Balaam is especially angry with the donkey and curses the donkey and strikes him with his, with his, uh, with his stick. And the donkey then begins to talk. Verse 30, Am I not your donkey on which you've ridden all your life to this day? Have I ever been accustomed to do so to you? And he said, Well, no. Balaam and the donkey having a conversation. <laughs> It doesn't seem to take Balaam aback at all. He's just talking to the donkey. Donkey's talking to him. And that's, that's the humorous part of the story, isn't it? And then verse 31, the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. He bowed all the way down to the ground and the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I've come as an adversary because your way was contrary to me, but the donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, I would have surely killed you just now and let her live. You see, Balaam was cursing the one he should have been blessing. The donkey really is doing you a favor, Balaam. The donkey could see me and, and he was turning aside. And uh, if he had not so acted, I would have killed you by now. You really need to be thanking the donkey and blessing the donkey instead of cursing the donkey. Well, Balaam confesses his error, offers to go back, not, not go curse Israel, offers to go back home. But the angel tells him, no, go on, but you can only say what I want you to say. And so he does, and instead of cursing Israel, he blesses Israel. Well, I just want to draw out a few lessons from, from this quickly this, this evening. You know, sometimes God gives hard hearts what they ask for. I think Balaam really, he wants to go all along. He wants the money. And so he wants to go all along. And so he appeals to the Lord a second time when the Lord has already told him, these are people that are blessed. I don't want you to go. 
Maybe the Lord has changed his mind, you know, maybe uh, the way Balaam is thinking. And so he has a hard heart. He wants to do what he wants to do, and so continues to appeal to the Lord until he gets the answer that he wants. Again, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 15, Balaam is a man who loved the wages of unrighteousness. There's another instance in the Old Testament when people asked, hard hearts asked for a thing and God gave it to them, even though it's contrary to his will. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, Israel asked for a king. God had no plans to give them a king. Uh, at least at that time, in the future, the Messiah would be a king, I'm sure. But at that time, no plans to give them a king, but, but they wanted a king to be like the nations, and so God gave them a king. He explains the king is not going to be good for you. He's going to tax you. He's going to take your sons to be his servants, take your daughters to be his maids. But that's what you want. That's what you can have. And, of course, it doesn't end well for them. Hosea chapter 13, verse 11 says, I gave you a king in my anger. Sometimes God gives hard hearts what they want. Sometimes God allows hard hearts what they ask for. He's not pleased, and he may hold them accountable. But if we're hard-hearted enough, he may allow us to have it. Balaam should have been satisfied with the first answer. No was the answer, and he should have accepted it. We need to accept God's answer and be content. We need to be careful that we don't confuse persistence in prayer with hard-heartedness. You know, Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a story to the end that we should always pray and not faint. Anyway, we need to be careful and examine ourselves so that we're not confusing persistence with hard-heartedness. And so be careful that we're in our hardened heart don't continue to ask God for what we want because we might, just might get it uh, to our detriment. A second lesson that we're going to pull out of this is, is this idea. Be careful that we don't mistake our desire for God's approval. We've suggested that Balaam all, all along wanted to go and curse, curse Israel. I think he just wanted the money, really, and he would do whatever he needed to do to get it. And eventually he gets God's approval. You know, sometimes it's easy for us to convince ourselves the answer we want God to give us is the answer he does, in fact, give. Here's a man who's got two job offers. One job offer is a lot more money, but it's in a faraway place, and church is not strong there, and he's going to be isolated from his family and from his brethren. And, but it, it's more money, it's a better position. Here's another job, it's less money, it's not nearly as good a position, but he's in a place where the church is strong, and he can be with his family and his brethren, and and he keeps on praying to the Lord and keeps on praying to the Lord. And, and finally he says, you know, I, I just prayed about it and prayed about it. I, I thought about this, this, this first job with its money. And I just felt good about it. I just knew that it was God telling me that's the job he wanted me to take. Ever heard people say that kind of thing or we catch ourselves thinking that way? You see, we're persuading ourselves that our good feelings is an indication somehow that God is approving of really what the choice that we want all along. We've got to be careful about that. Feelings and intuition are not especially sound ways to determine God's will for us. Feelings are not a, a good way to determine God's will. 
I felt good about this. Or I felt at peace about this. Intuition, those kind of subjective feelings, really very unsound ways of learning God's will or becoming aware of God's will. What do we need to do when we, when we pray for something? Well, Matthew chapter 26, not my will, but yours be done. That's the first thing we need to do in our prayer. Not my will, but yours be done. And we need to say that honestly and sincerely and mean it when we say it. Your will be done, not mine. We need to pray for wisdom. Pray for good judgment. Pray for guidance. Pray for insight. If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Pray for wisdom. As I'm trying to make up my mind about this, give me wisdom. Give me guidance. Give me good judgment and insight. Help me make a good decision. We need to consider how each decision would affect our spiritual duties. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. And so how is my decision going to affect my ability to carry out my spiritual duties? And if one decision puts us in a difficult position to carry those, those duties out, the others, that, well, should be, that, that should be a major consideration. Ask God to keep us from evil and adverse circumstances. Deliver us from evil. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 13 is what Jesus teaches us to pray. In light of all these things, carefully evaluate the situation. Your will be done. Give me wisdom. Consider our spiritual duty. Keep us from evil and adverse circumstances. In light of all this, evaluate the situation. And then make a wise decision. We also, I think, need to understand that sometimes it doesn't matter to God what decision we make. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, God says, are you a slave? Okay, stay a slave. Are you free? Okay, stay a slave be free. Now if you're a slave and you can be free, then be free. And so it really didn't matter to God so much whether a person was slave or free as long as he was faithful in whatever situation he found himself. That's the way God is today. He doesn't care whether we take this job or this job, all things being equal. Be faithful in the job that you, that you take. That's of primary importance to God, that we are faithful in whatever we do. Of course, as we said a moment ago, there are some jobs that would inherently compromise our spiritual duty and obligation. That's a different matter altogether. Well, there's another point I want to bring out back in Numbers chapter 22. This is a long story. It takes several chapters to tell on through chapter 24. So chapter 22, 23, 24. Balaam does go to where Israel is and he speaks to Israel and but instead of cursing them, he blesses them. In fact, there are seven oracles, we might call them, that he delivers to Israel. We're not going to take the time to read them, but you might notice them as we go through. The first oracle, chapter 23, verses 7 through 10, verse 8, he says, How can I denounce who the Lord has not denounced? I'm just going to pick out one verse in each oracle that kind of summarizes it. In the second oracle, chapter 23, verses 18 through 24, he says, I've received a command to bless. And so he blesses. In the third oracle, he says, How fair are your tents, O Jacob, or Israel? How, 
again, another blessing. In the fifth oracle, chapter 24, verses and verse 20, he says of Amalek, his end will be destruction. And Amalek is defeated by Israel and ultimately defeated by Samuel and David. In the sixth oracle, chapter 24, 21 through 22, the Kenites will be defeated by Assyria. Even though Assyria doesn't come to power for hundreds of years. In the seventh oracle, chapter 24, verses 23 through 25, the ships of Katim will afflict Eber, which is another name for Israel, but they will come to destruction. You might have noticed I skipped the fourth oracle, which is really, in some ways, the most outstanding for our purposes anyway. He says in verse 17 of this fourth oracle, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel, shall crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down all the sons of Sheth, Edom shall be a possession. Seir, its enemies, also will be a possession. While Israel performs valiantly, one from Jacob shall have dominion and will destroy the remnant of the city. A star will come from Jacob. A scepter. You know what a scepter is? It's the ruling staff, isn't it? And so a ruler, a king, will come from Israel. And then in verse 19, one from Jacob will have dominion. Balaam is looking forward to the Messiah. Here's a pagan prophet. <laughs> He's not an Israelite. And yet God speaking through him looks forward to the star from Jacob, the scepter that will arise in Israel, one that will have dominion. It's amazing, isn't it? So here's the situation again. Balaam was called on to curse. But God had chosen Israel to be especially his own people. He had plans for Israel. Eventually through Israel, the Messiah would come. And so Israel is not going to be cursed by Balaam. Instead, God has Balaam bless Israel and look forward to the coming Messiah. You see, God's plan cannot be obstructed by men. Cannot happen. Balak had certain plans for Israel, wanted them to be cursed. Perhaps even Balaam had intended at one point to curse them but you see, no matter if a man is a king or a prophet or, or whoever he might be, he cannot obstruct God's plan. Of course, people have tried many times through the years. A lot of nations, and you see some of them here, have opposed God's people. And all of them, all of them have seen their defeat and their demise. Herod tried to kill all the babies born in in that part of the world there in Judea and Jerusalem, uh, Bethlehem when Jesus was born, but, but he failed. The Jews attempted to defeat God's plan when they crucified Jesus, but they just couldn't do it. All of this was by the predetermined plan of God, and so it could not be done. And all of that speaks to the power of God. No one, no power in heaven, on earth, or under the earth will ever defeat him. Now that's about as far as I'm going to go tonight. I, I can hear the gasps. <laughs> that's about as far as I'm going to go. 
The story has an element of, of humor in it, doesn't it? A talking donkey and, and Balaam, Balaam just having a dialogue, just a conversation with the donkey. But we don't want to miss the important lessons to be learned, especially this last one about God's power to fulfill his promise. We can rest on the promises of God. Whether that is one day there will be a judgment of all men and we will all stand before him and give an account of ourselves, that's a promise of God. There will be a heaven for those who are faithful, that's a promise of God. There will be a, a hell for those who disobey, that's a promise of God. There's another promise of God, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And you can count on that. You see, no man, prophet or king, no man can obstruct and defeat the purpose of God. If God has promised it, we can count on it. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for the opportunities we've had today to come and to worship together. We pray, Father, that you've been pleased with our efforts, that each one of us has worshiped you in spirit and in truth. We're thankful, Father, for the word that you've given to us. We're thankful that we have access to it. We thank, we're thankful we can read and understand. Father, we are thankful for the opportunity to, to study this particular lesson tonight. Help us to see, Father, the things and the stories in, in the Bible, the things that you would have us to see. Help us to learn the lessons that you would have us to learn. Help us, Father, always to pray that your will will be done. Give us wisdom that we need to make good decisions. Keep us from evil and adverse circumstances. Help us to understand that we need to put ourselves in a position to fulfill our spiritual duties. And so we ask your help to do that. Help us, Father, as we go along the way to make decisions that you would have us to make and not justify and rationalize the decisions that we want to make. Father, we're thankful for your power. We're thankful that you've had a plan to save us. We're thankful that you've executed that plan even though it's been resisted and people have tried to prevent its fulfillment. You and your power have fulfilled it nonetheless. And so in, because of that, Father, we stand in awe of you. We bow before you and worship you as the true and living God. Help us each day to stand upon your promises. Today, in the future, and throughout eternity. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.